Welcome to The Art of Social Media, a podcast by Social Pilot. We host in-depth discussions with world-leading social media marketing experts that will help you discover the techniques, strategies, and skills you need to use to grow your business using social media. Now, here's your host, Tejas Mehta. Hello, hello. Welcome again to The Art of Social Media. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Latasha James. Latasha is the co-founder and creative director of James Plus Park Creative. She also works as a founder and content creator at Online Business Launch Lab. She has immense experience in marketing overall and social media specifically. Her YouTube channel for social media has 119,000 subscribers. I'm envious and jealous. That's wonderful. And uh, Latasha is also present on Instagram where you have 25,000 plus followers. Latasha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Doing well. Wonderful. Latasha, I was watching Miss Marvel last night. It's a new show on Disney, right? And I realized that every hero has an origin story. What is your origin story? Mm, yeah. My origin story, I wish it was more exciting, but I honestly have just always loved social media. I mean, I grew up in the era of uh, Zanga. I don't know if anyone remembers that. And early days of MySpace, like, you know, very, very, very early Facebook days. And I just always really loved the internet. I always loved connecting with people from all over the world. And I just got really fascinated by social media. So I always knew that I wanted to work in it somehow. So I started freelancing when I was in my getting my undergrad degree, just kind of on the side, side hustle, make a little extra money. I started working on Upwork. It was called Elance back then doing social media copywriting. That's also when I started my YouTube channel just for fun. Again, it, what there was no big business motive behind it. It was just kind of to connect with people and share a little bit about my life. And over the years, it really evolved into something completely different. But that first you know, bit of experience with Upwork and freelancing in college really helped me realize what's possible as far as making money online. Interesting. So you started as a side project, you know, not really intended to kind of making money online, but you found your niche there and you realized that this is where you can help and educate people. And here we are. That's wonderful. I noticed that you have 119,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel. One of your popular video, how to develop a social media strategy step-by-step step, has around 600,000 views. That's mind-blowing. That is a secret. How do you kind of do that? Yeah, so building a community, you know, I think that is really important to actually build a community if you want to get people to come back and subscribe. It's relatively easy to, you know, I say it's relatively easy, but it's easier to kind of deconstruct the 600,000 views because that's just SEO, that's research, you know. But when it comes to actually building a community, that's what requires consistency. So I have, you know, really since I started taking my YouTube channel seriously, I've been uploading at least two times a week, really consistently, same days every week. For me right now, it's Monday and Friday. At one point in time, I was uploading Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, for years. So I think audiences really want that consistency and that is really going to help you grow. And I also think just having that two-way communication with your audience is important too. If somebody comments, I read it. I read all of my comments. I try to respond to as many as I can. And that's where some of my best video ideas have come from is from my audience. So when it comes to actually building the followers, I think that's really the secret. And then, yeah, for getting the eyes on your content, 
I'm a big believer in, you know, researching and using SEO. I love a tool. It's called TubeBuddy to do my SEO research for my videos to kind of try to marry what's in demand, what, what people are searching for with my expertise. Like how can I position this in a way that is going to make sense and meet the moment for what people are watching right now? So yeah, and, but I also try to mix it up. You know, that that video obviously has 600,000 views. All of my videos do not get that, you know, amount of views. And that's okay. I have sort of different benchmarks for different styles of videos. And even some of the videos that get very, very low views, you know, a thousand views are important because maybe they're deepening my relationship with like my my VIP group of, you know, audience members, if you will. Uh, so everything serves a purpose. Yeah, everything serves a purpose, I think. Wonderful. That, that's a lot to dissect, right? One of the first thing that you mentioned uh, is community requires continuity, right? The whole theme of community building, uh, I see a lot of things going around community building, right? Initially, it was marketing-led wins, and then there were product-led wins, right? And then now it's community-led wins. So community is becoming a focus. If you look at Web3 and the whole decentralization, it is again around community, if you see the newer tools that Gen Z uses, like Discord, for example, it's around communities, right? How does one go about building community, uh, be it YouTube or any other platform? What are the principles that somebody has to keep in mind? Yeah, I think, like I said, it's about two-way communication. You know, I think gone are the days where people want to just sit and watch and become super fans and that's it. We have TV for that. We have movies for that, video games, whatever. If people are connecting with a creator, which I, I would lump brands in with that too. Brands that are on social media should really be thinking like creators in a lot of ways. They want to be a part of the process. So whether that's, you know, I like the phrase work in public. I do that a lot. If I'm trying something new, film a behind the scenes of it or go live while you're building a website. Like people love to be kind of involved in that. Um, I use my Instagram stories a lot. I, I'm planning a brand photo shoot for the next week. So I've been surveying my audience like, hey, what colors should I wear? How should I do my hair? Like just little things like that kind of get people excited and they want to then see the end product. And so they'll stick around to it. I think as, as far as like actually moving them somewhere, helping them do something, helping them finish something. I did a course creation challenge when the pandemic first hit, actually, because I knew a lot of people were worried about their income. A lot of people were at home. They were bored. So I just got on Instagram and I said, let's all create a mini course together over the next couple of weeks. And it really served as a proof of concept for me and my business because people were actually able to do something and finish something. And they're like, wow, if I was able to complete this with Latasha without even taking her course or paying her, like imagine what it would be like, you know, actually working with her. So I think getting people involved, having them achieve something, accomplish something is, is a big component of community building. So it's not just one way. It has to be two way is what I'm hearing. And what I'm also hearing is being authentic, like asking, what should I wear? It's showing that, hey, I'm vulnerable, I'm normal, I need your inputs, and you know, let's kind of make it as a collaboration project. And then actually providing them value without charging anything upfront, showing them that there's value in interacting and following. Are these like the keys to starting up a community? I, I think so. You know, authenticity, especially right now, is really important. I've noticed a big shift, you know, 2020 to now of like, I tweeted this the other day. I was like, people are over flex content. You know, it used to be that people wanted this really aspirational content. And I think now people want relatability. They want community. Like they're craving that more than ever. 
Interesting. So the sense of belonging, especially after COVID, is, is what has kind of heightened up. People want to belong somewhere, especially if they're not able to go physically somewhere. So interesting. And how does YouTube play a role as a platform? TikTok is like booming, so is Instagram Reels. Is YouTube like a special platform or is it like merging? Tell me more about that. I love YouTube. I love the other ones as well. I think they can work really well together. But what I love about YouTube is that it is an SEO driven platform. So I think of YouTube as like real estate. You're investing in something versus just renting something. I mean, that video that you mentioned that has 600,000 views, it still gets, you know, probably tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of views each year. And that video is a few years old now. So it's still relevant and it's still like helping me build that community and gain brand awareness today. Whereas a TikTok, I could make that video into a TikTok really easily and it it might do really well, but it's probably going to have a very short shelf life. It's probably only going to be relevant for, you know, a couple weeks, maybe. I'm not saying there's not outliers in that, but in general, that's kind of how it works. So I think they work really well together. And what I've been doing is I've been repurposing a lot of my longer form content onto the shorter form platforms, just so I'm still establishing a presence. I'm still, you know, having that relevancy with these newer platforms, but I'm not having to completely reinvent the wheel and be, you know, filming something brand new on my phone every day. I can repurpose a lot of what I've already created. Very interesting, right? The concept of real estate investing versus renting, that hit me hard. So YouTube is a place where if I'm a brand and I'm serious about marketing and community, I got to be there, right? Now, help me understand. If I were like like a smaller brand, let's say if I'm just an upcoming cosmetics brand, right, which does not have as big a presence as L'Oreal, for example, right? How would I start a community? Would YouTube be my first ground? Is there where I'll start kind of marketing? If so, what would high level, you know, ideas look like? Yeah. Well, I think today, I think that short form content is really powerful, particularly, you know, if we're using the cosmetics example, I think TikTok is really powerful for products that people can can purchase. If I were in that position, I would start on TikTok and actually I would probably partner with some established creators on TikTok to help me build up that relevancy on my profile. And then what I do after I have some data, you know, maybe a couple months worth of data on TikTok, I would see which videos are performing the best, which, you know, creators are performing the best, what trends are we seeing? And then for some of those clear winners, I might create longer form content out of. So maybe I would do a YouTube tutorial featuring our most popular product or, you know, an interview with a creator that did really well. Maybe I would do blogging. Blogging is still a thing too, depending on, you know, what the resources the brand had just to really solidify your space and get that sort of SEO value in addition to the short form stuff. But short form is easier to start with because, you know, it doesn't require a lot, you know, you you just need a phone really. So I think it's a good place to start and test and see what your audience really values. And then you can kind of, you know, invest in the longer form content after you have some data. Sure. So start short form, maybe TikTok, depending on the brand, and then maybe move on to blogging or long form. And that might be like a ideal place to go. That's wonderful. I see Google algorithm changing a lot. It's impacting SEOs for, you know, blogs and stuff like that, right? Does a YouTube algorithm change a lot? Does it kind of change it, change its focus every month, every few months? Uh, have you seen any of those trends? I 
don't notice huge a huge variation in the performance of my content. Really, I think, you know, I know they make tweaks. I know they make updates um, even to the the platform layout and all of that. But what I've been doing has been working for the past several years, really. I haven't changed my formula too much. So that's another reason why I do like YouTube is it's unlike, it, it's less, um, it, it changes a lot less than some of these shorter form platforms. I mean, one thing I will say, I would say the biggest change is YouTube shorts. They introduced those, you know, a year or so ago. And that has been an interesting feature to try to figure out and, you know, test out. So that's definitely been a learning curve for me. But beyond that, the day-to-day algorithm isn't too different. Got it. For a particular video in YouTube, what does a successful video look like, right? Are there any elements that are important? Are thumbnails important? Like, how would I design a successful video? Yeah, value. You know, making sure that you are giving value first don't just clickbait. Don't just talk around the topic, you know, really make sure that you're giving tangible, actionable advice, especially when you're first starting out in assuming you're wanting to do this for business. You know, you want to make sure that you are giving people something actionable, a good takeaway. One of my friends a long time ago, when I was blogging, he told me before you post any blog, ask yourself, how is this helping people? And that's always stuck with me. I've asked myself that For every single video, whether it's a more casual video, a funny video, a super educational video, there should always be some takeaway that people can get from it. So I'd say that's number one. And then, yeah, I mean, definitely thumbnails. I would say tags, titles, and thumbnails are kind of the three T's on YouTube that you should be paying attention to. The tags and the titles, you can research using a tool like TubeBuddy, like I mentioned. And then thumbnails, I think, are important because they're almost additional text space. I almost think of them as like a a subtitle. So maybe your main title is the best restaurants in Detroit. And then your thumbnail would say like, this place is amazing or, you know, best pizza ever or something like that to kind of give some more context. So they should work really well together and really like capture people's attention and get them to want to click. And then I think as far as format of the video, it's important to get to the point you know, people's attention spans, thanks to TikTok and Instagram reels, and they're shorter than ever. It's true. So people are not going to sit through a three minute long intro before you get to the point. So try to hop into it and then just capture people's attention to get them to want to continue watching throughout. Got it. So tags, titles, and thumbnails, the three T's. And then before that, ensuring that there's value in the video ensuring that you get the thumbnails right, go straight to the point, and then don't just blabber. Don't have longer introductions for the sake of it, right? I also like the feature where you can jump to like specific time points. Some people kind of, you know, mentioned that in the comments. I find it extremely valuable. If I don't want to listen about something, I kind of just click there and that's where I am. And then I follow that creator because he values for my time. So yeah, makes a lot of sense. What kind of brands are creators should not be on YouTube. Are there any particular type of categories or industries where YouTube would not be helpful? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the types of brands that do best with it are those that are truly educational. So maybe for D2C brands, you know, TikTok might, and especially brands where maybe their inventory changes a lot, you know, TikTok or something short form might be a better fit just because, you know, YouTube is the long game. So if you have a signature 
product that is going to, it's not going to change too much over time. I think that's going to be a really good fit for you. Whereas if, you know, you're constantly refreshing your inventory, that might be a little harder to keep up with. And then, yeah, again, just making sure that you can really educate your audience on something. I think that's what people go to YouTube for is to, to learn. So learn from YouTube, buy, buy on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> is that the combination? Okay. Wonderful. One of the things you mentioned earlier was in TikTok tagging along with the right influencers, especially if you're new, right? How do smaller brands know what influences work and what influences don't work? Is is there like a shortcut to kind of find the good influencer? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think I think it's there's not like one list of criteria necessarily because it is you really need to find a creator that works for your brand. So, if your brand is all about the environment and, you know, eco-friendly products, like you don't want to work with, you know, an influencer who only posts fast fashion and, you know, drives around in a car all the time. Like you want to make sure that they are really in alignment with your brand values and style and, and all of that. So I think that is probably the most important factor is making sure that there's a good fit. And we've seen incidents of this not happening and, and um, fans of the brand will complain and be like, oh, this person stands against your values and I'm not going to buy from you anymore, things like that. So I think that's the number one thing is finding, really doing your research as a brand. I get it all the time as a creator. People reach out to me for like, you know, food items. I'm vegan and they'll ask me to like promote meat or I don't drink and I'll get asked to promote alcohol brands. And it's like, you didn't do your research. So that is the number one factor, I think. And then of course, yes, looking at metrics, looking to see, are they you know, actually captivating their own audience, but doing so in an authentic way. Because of course, we all know you can buy followers, you can buy views on pretty much any platform. So not just looking at the subscriber number or the view number, but also looking at comments and interactions, looking at if you're looking on um, Instagram, for example, you can see their tags, how many people are tagging them in posts. That's going to give you a good indication of how well, they've actually built up a community, not just getting those sort of vanity metrics like views. So ultimately, engagement in the end is what matters, even when you're kind of screening influencers, because if there's no engagement, but a lot of followers, we know there's something fishy. That makes a lot of sense. And don't be afraid of micro influencers. You know, a lot of times brands say, oh, I want to work with this celebrity or this huge, huge creator, but micro influencers are really powerful. And some of the data has shown that they actually tend to build stronger communities. You know, they're more engaged with their audiences day to day. So, you know, they don't have to have the biggest numbers to really be powerful for your brand. How do I go about finding those micro influencers? It's easy to find the Kardashians like as influencers, but the smaller ones, which are more authentic and more connected to the community. How do I go? Is it a tool? Is it a platform? As a brand, where do I go? Yeah. I mean, there are some tools like there's influence.co is one. There are tons of actual services. You know, if you want to pay, you could use different services to actually have get matched up with creators. But I say the best bet is to just really be engaged in your community. So follow the hashtags that are popular for your niche. You should be doing that anyway, as a brand and engaging with potential customers. And once you kind of immerse yourself in that community, you'll start to see familiar faces and see who's really sort of uh, building that community. Still paying attention to Facebook groups and things like that are still popular. So just, you know, really immersing yourself in the community, I think is the best way to do it sort of grassroots. Interesting. 
gems like following the hashtag for your industry. These are the things that kind of, you know, really make you ahead in the game. So that's that's wonderful. Facebook groups, of course, they popped up like anything in the last two, three years, but there's an opportunity to find good influences there as well. Okay. The Art of Social Media is brought to you by Social Pilot. To find out more about Social Pilot and how we can give you everything you need to hit your social media marketing goals, visit socialpilot.co. And then make sure to search for The Art of Social Media in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Social Pilot, thanks for listening.